Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. We're live from the 585, travel to Rochester to do a couple shows this week, and I'm very happy to be here in Rochester, the home of the Garbage Plate, which I finally got to try. Nick Tahoe is the original back in 1918, and I also tried Henrietta Hots, and both of them had their own style, and I appreciate them uh, very, very much. Inside of MonPazPopcorn.com's What's Poppin', we've brought you the annoying moment of the week for this week from Carvel DeWitt. Uh, lead, learn, evolve, ad lib, and deliver with Juanita Ward on new beginnings in a new year. Brought to you by Chick-fil-A Cicero. We just announced the Buffalo Bills as the top dog of the week from Canine Camp Dog Daycare and Canine Campground Dog Boarding. And now it's time to finish off the show with someone who is no stranger to the broadcast and has always been good to me. And that is Dr. Daryl Gross, the former athletics director at Syracuse University, who was responsible for bringing in Floyd Little. And we can talk about that and so much more on today's broadcast as we remember someone who is such an amazing part of my life and I know uh, means a lot to Daryl as well. So with that being said, let's bring him in. Daryl, how are we doing today? Doing great, Dan, and thanks for for having me on. I know you've got a a great show and you cover a lot of areas, so uh, it's good to to hear your voice again and reconnect with uh, you and everybody out on the East Coast. Yeah, you know, it's it's been uh, truly awesome to have this opportunity, you know, and, and you and I have gotten to know each other over the years. And so I got to ask you, Daryl, what I mean, it's been a while since you and I have been in the same room. But what do you remember about when we are in the same room together? Is there any memory or anything that sticks out to you? Yeah, well, just uh, being at the uh, at the dome, right, and being in the tunnel, like before the game or after the game and just kind of recapping what had just happened, whether it was basketball or football and and, uh, you know, so, so many great things uh, and memories from, from Syracuse. And uh, you were always there covering them. So that's, that's what I probably remember and cherish the most. Yeah, you know, and, and having that, I mean, you had the opportunity to be there. And uh, before we get into Floyd Little, you know, Daryl, I, I got to come to your aid here. You get knocked, and I think it's unfair. And, you know, because everybody talks about the Greg Robinson era, right? And so I know you probably get asked the question, and it comes up in this and that, and fans struggle with this. And you came in, you know, and 10 seconds after Paul Pascaloni, uh, you know, is, is let go. Greg Robinson comes in. Coaches get hired and fired. It, it happens all the time with athletics directors, to, you know, to try and find a splash. How difficult is the job? And, and just what you can say about moments like that when you come into a job and – it's like goodbye to a coach that's been there, but people don't really know you, and then you bring in a coach and people associate you with it. Just how you navigate through that as a professional, knowing that you're, you're attached to whatever coach you let go and you're attached to whatever coach you bring in for like the rest of, of time, you know, how do you handle that? How do you navigate that? And just some background on it as, as you know, you're the one that, that actually went through the process. Well, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's a great question, Dan. And, and you know, folks really don't, ever get to see the the story that's in the in the in the back room right and uh you know when i came to syracuse you know i was leaving usc and we had put together a pretty good program and we had brought pete carroll there obviously and he did a great job we just played the national championship game but before we played the national championship game i came uh i was i i, I was i was selected as the director of athletics and I was going to start in January 
and uh, I was invited by the, the university to come out to the Champs Bowl, and and I'd seen Paul Pasqualoni prior to that. I actually knew Paul back back in the day. I used to scout for the New York Jets, and, and Syracuse was one of my stops, and so I had tremendous respect for Paul Pasqualoni and, and Coach Mack and the whole thing, so I knew, I knew the program. Um, so when I got, got to Syracuse, or, or went to the Champs Bowl, you know, obviously it wasn't a great day for Syracuse football that day, and in my mind, I just thought that, well, that's okay. They made it to a bowl. We'll have a year to kind of get this together, and and uh, and then we'll go from there. Then we'll, then we'll look at the program. But there was a there was a pretty good census uh, from 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 the university that they wanted to make a change, and uh, and it wasn't for me to say to make a change because I had just got there. I didn't think it was my place. Um, but there were things behind the scenes that that you know move the momentum to making a change and Paul and I had a great conversation and I was very honest with them about um, the atmosphere that I had just walked into and so the timing I don't think was the best timing because Dan if you look at it when you when you do football coaching searches they usually start right after Thanksgiving you know kind of after the last game of the season very, very seldom do you do a search in January. It's just, it's just very tough. You're not going to have as many candidates and all those type of things. But that was, that was what the school, the university direction wanted, and so that's what we had to do. Um, you know, and uh, so we had, we had a few candidates in there. You know, we had Greg Robinson and and, and a few other people that were in there, but we, we didn't have a robust. Um, situation Bo Pelini was came on late and uh he became a consideration but things were moving pretty fast and and uh and you know Greg Greg was ready to go he had just come off of uh uh from Texas as a D coordinator he had obviously won a couple Super Bowls with uh with Shanahan at the Denver Broncos and and had showed him you know at UCLA he he was one of their top recruiters and they had gone to a bunch of bowl games in a row. So, you know, you, you never know how it's going to turn out. Um, I thought that, that Greg, when he took over the program, he didn't inherit what I would call, you know, one of the best teams of talent, right? And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know, Greg Greg's had signed Colt Britton, the, the great quarterback that went to Hawaii and uh, – uh, finished second in the Heisman Trophy balloting, but because there was an article that had come out, and I had just got there, and Greg had just got there, the university was a little worried about signing Colt Brennan because he had been in some trouble or something like that in, in Colorado, and it turned out that that it wasn't what was written in the story. But meanwhile, you know, we weren't allowed to sign sign him, and he went off to to Hawaii. And uh, and that was too bad because uh, he he was really good. Now Greg was inheriting a couple couple guys with uh, Patterson and Joe Fields, and Joe Fields is you know such a tremendous leader. But I think the offense that they were running didn't really fit what those guys' skill set were, and and so things started out disjointed. And then you, the rest of the team was was you know it wasn't the teams that Paul had had previously, and I think Paul had a chance to bring in. Uh, Ray Rice and those type of things, but we didn't get to go there because of the situation. So, you know, you take that all 
all on as an athletic director. You know, people don't know the backstory to it all. And, you know, even even to when we were um, dealing with the media, there's a lot of assumptions made, you know, that I just came in and just decided to fire Paul and bring in my own guy. And that, that, that wasn't the story. Um, I would have loved it to have Paul for a year and, and, and uh, see, see what we could have done to try to get the program going. But that wasn't the, uh, the mood and the atmosphere at the time. But, you know, you just can't think for one second that someone can just walk in a new university and really not know the, the whole situation and just come in and start making changes. So it, it's, it's, it's a group effort. Let's put it that way. It, it, but you just take it, right. You just take it because it's part of the job. And, and so, you know, whatever constructive criticism there were, and it, it is what it is. And, and you try to do the best you can. Um, obviously that tenure didn't work out great. Um, when we did, do a search we had a great search when doug marone got the job we got some really really good people in that search and it was doug marone and and um at the time skip holtz was in it and uh turner gill was coming off of off of a great couple years at buffalo and and uh and chip kelly was in this in the search process he was offense coordinator at oregon and and when he was supposed to meet us in New York, he ended up canceling because Oregon got win, and, and he became the uh, he became the coach in waiting at Oregon. And then we pushed more, and then he became the head coach at Oregon. <laughs> so, you know, I always talked to whenever I talked to Chip, I said, "Hey, you know what? It, it, we got you going up there at Oregon." And, you know, he, got, he obviously had a good run. So, but if you think about it, when we started that search, we started it right after right after Thanksgiving. And, and it gave us a chance to really take our time and do it right. And, and, and I find that that's what happens. Uh, when you get time to do uh, a good, solid search, then you, you've got a chance to uh, be more successful. And, uh, and Doug obviously came in and did a, did a great job. And, and it was too bad when he left because, um, you know, here we are at Syracuse. We were struggling in football, and we finally get it going. And, and all of a sudden, Doug's got – a choice of four NFL jobs. And I'm saying, God, what happened to the Ohio States of the world, the USC's and the, and the Texas, why aren't they going after their coach? Why are they taking our coach? We finally got, got some momentum and they, 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 they take Doug away. So, uh, that's how it goes, you know, but that, this is how we went about it in every, every single sport at Syracuse. We, we tried to get the best leadership we could possibly get, but you really want to do it in an orthodox fashion where you have the right timing and all those type of things. And, and uh, so we did the best we could. And Greg had came in with great credentials, and, and I will tell you this, and you remember this, that that no one was complaining when he came in, you know, because uh, they they saw his resume. Um, and uh, you know, we weren't at that level where we were paying coaches, you know, huge salaries and all that stuff at the time. So we were just trying to get in the game and, and see if we could compete a little bit. So it's a process. It takes some time. Um, Football at, at Syracuse is it's got some some challenges sometimes because you don't have a natural recruiting base in in Onondaga County or in upstate New York the same way you have uh, per se a USC where we're you know right down the street we've got you know you know a bunch of five star football players that want to just stay local and and you don't get that same luxury so you have to really recruit hard and you've got to you got to try to make football at Syracuse where it's a national draw almost like like 
uh, like the model Notre Dame uses, right? Notre Dame doesn't have a lot of players in South Bend, Indiana, but their their web spreads so far, and so you know we tried to be as national as we could because we weren't just going to get kids from the backyard to come in and play. So you had to go to other other people's areas to try to compete with them to to get um, to get athletes, uh, get football players, and um, you know hence why we were trying to do things and. In the New York City area, like the uh, the MetLife games and um, those type of things, we're really trying to get on that national stage so we could broaden the recruiting. So, so we had a method to the madness. It didn't always it didn't always work out, but we, we had a, a lot of success in a lot of areas, and we were proud of it. That coming here this morning from Dr. Daryl Gross, who joins us live inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, as we are live on the road in Rochester, New York, live in the five eight five. Uh, Daryl, for for you, and, and I appreciate you uh, being so open about that process and everything because you know it, it is something that a lot of people don't know about. But how how do you? I mean, when you when you look at the challenges and you look at everything that you go through as an athletics director, or in your case now as the executive director for intercollegiate athletics for Cal State LA. I mean, when you're in this. When you're in a prominent role, when it comes to athletics, you're in an administrative role. A lot of it comes on to you. You know, as an AD, it's on you. You're connected to Paul Pascaloni forever, and like you said, people people didn't know the story of you know you didn't walk in and say right bye Paul. You know, it was more of a group kind of speaking with you, like hey, we think we should transition. Go tell Paul, and you know, in with with finding Greg Robinson, if he had done well then you're remembered forever. If he doesn't do well, you know, then you're remembered forever. I mean, you're remembered either way in connection to it. How do you navigate that? And, and what can you tell me about having thick skin and, and the ability to, you know, uh, move forward when, when decisions made by athletics directors and executive directors and, you know, administrators that are prominent in athletics, when you make a decision, you're tied to that forever how do you navigate it? How do you handle it? And how have you grown through the adversity of, you know, trying to make the best decision, but knowing that as an AD, when you make a decision, you're in a spotlight and the entire world kind of has you under a microscope. How, how do you handle that and tackle that? Well, it's just, it just comes with the territory. You know, you just you just know that uh, that everyone's not going to know all the data and it, it's a. Uh, uh, you got to make the best decisions you can make that, that are for the best interests of the program and the university. And, um, you know, I, I tell you that the momentum for uh, Paul, when, when I first walked in the dome that first time, we were playing Notre Dame in basketball, and, and uh, people were, were not very happy with the football program. And, and a lot of short memories you know, happen after that when things don't go right, you know. Um, in the perfect world, like I say, you, you, you would have taken some time to, to make these moves and you, you don't do searches that late because what happens with the search is not necessarily the candidate, right? It's it's more of the timing of, of when you can get started recruiting. And, and obviously, um, when that happened and... You know, at the best, you could have had Colt Brennan and Ray Rice and the other kid that went to Rutgers, you know, and, and those things just didn't materialize. I mean, we can talk about coaching all you want, but you, you've got to have uh, the talent to, to compete. And, 
and, and that's that's a big part of the ball game there. And, and so, you know, those that are sophisticated enough to understand the process get it, and those that don't, you try to try to educate them as, as much you can as to what you can share and what you can't. And then you you just continue to to build the program. And so, you know, I came in to be the athletic director of the entire program. A lot of people think that you just you know well we're bringing them in to just fix football and no you you gotta you gotta run a whole athletic department. There's a lot of things that we were proud of that we did. You know, the budget there was about 48 million when I got there, 47 million. And, and you know, when I left, we were at 95 million and it moved into the ACC and, and, and given Syracuse a sustainable um, uh, platform to, to be a program for, for, you know, a long, long time to come. And, and at the time, you know, uh, resources were scarce, and, and a lot of folks did, didn't know that. The Big East television contract wasn't as robust as as what they call the Power Five now, and there was a lot going on there, and, you know, we had a chance to take an opportunity to enhance the program financially and, and with some very prestigious academic universities, and that kind of worked out for us. And, and, and there's some schools that really wanted to get in that didn't and uh that struggle subsequent so so it's more than just you know one coach or 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 one program it's it's uh it's comprehensive and uh i thought we i thought we went at it and we competed at it as hard as we could and and that's part of the job you know and and speaking here with dr daryl gross once again a former syracuse university ad as well as the executive director for intercollegiate athletics currently at, at cal state la uh, when you go back to that decision, I mean, everything happens with Greg Robinson, and then you have to go into the search again. You brought up the search with Doug Marone. Uh, bringing in Doug Marone, getting back to bowl games, having success, and then seeing him leave for the NFL for the Buffalo Bills at the time. Bring me through all of that, because you saw the one side of it where you bring in a coach and things don't work out and he's got to be fired. But then you see the other side of it where you did a good search, brought in a good coach, and because that coach was good at that time and their stock was high, they ended up you know, getting a job in the NFL. So you saw two ends of the spectrum of having to let somebody go and go back to the drawing board and then somebody leaving because of their success and having to go back to the drawing board. How did you handle the second one? Well, it's heartbreaking, you know, and, and I really liked Doug, and, and I thought, I thought you know, we we just had beaten West Virginia in the pinstripe bowl and did a pretty good job there, and, and uh, West Virginia was was supposedly going into the game, you know, a little higher-ranked team, and, and we clocked them pretty good, and we had a couple backs run for, for close to 200 yards, and I think it was Tyson Gully and, and – uh, you know, those guys did a nice job. We, we got a couple safeties in that game, and it looked like we were going to be rolling. We are going to be set for the next year. And, and uh, you know, then, then good for Doug, right? I mean, the NFL saw what he could do as a head coach, and they, they found some talent in him. And, uh, and uh, Doug went on, obviously, with Buffalo, had, had a, a decent progression there. And then uh, Jacksonville even had a, a chance to go to, the, you know, in the AFC Championship game, they had Pittsburgh on the ropes. So, you know, he, he, they did a, they, he did a pretty good job. And so to see him go was really tough because then again, when he got that job, Dan, it was, it was later. 
again. You know, now you're in January again. <laughs> you know, it, it, it tried to do a search. And I'm telling you, you know, in doing searches 101, you, you want to start them early as you can. And uh, and so to see him go was, was very tough um, because you lose the continuity of the program. But, you know, these things happen and, and things don't always turn around, you know, immediately. And it takes time. Even when we're at SC, you know, 91, Larry Smith was a head coach. And uh, the thought of USC going to the Freedom Bowl was like, what? You know, it's, it's, you're supposed to be in the Rose Bowl. And, and then he had a 3-8 and eight season and he got fired. And then John Robinson came in for the second time, you know. And after a few years, John got let go. And then Paul Hackett came in, and, and, and Paul Hackett did the best he could, and then he got let go before we got to Pete Carroll. So these things aren't exact sciences, right? And uh, But the thing I will tell you is when Paul Hackett got hired at SC, the search was started late. <clears throat> um, when Pete Carroll was hired at SC, we started the search you know, right after the season. So... What the correlation is, if you can start a search at the right time, you've got a better chance of having success going forward because you can hit that first recruiting class. So there's a lot of sausage making that goes into it, but it's all, you know, it's all part of the deal of being an athletic administrator. And I've done it for years. And, you know, I worked in NFL for a while. I coached at, uh, at, at SC and coached in the Rose Bowl. And, and then I was administrator for a long time. So, it's all the stuff that you go through, and you, you're used to it, and it's part of, part of, of what happens. And it, it just know that people aren't always going to understand it, right? And if they knew, uh, if they saw the sausage making, they would see that there's there's truly a process, and and, and it's just not always going to go the way you want. But you, you try to get those wins where you can get them, and uh, that's how it works. For you, when when you went out there, you know, how did you sell Syracuse? What were your selling points? You know, because I. I imagine knowing your personality and having been around you a bunch of times and, you know, throughout the years and whatnot, I I would imagine that you got excited to get on a plane and go around the country and, you know, put the put the orange and blue hat on and, and sell the product and whatnot. How did you sell Syracuse and what can you tell me about the experience of looking for the right fit? Well, it depends on are you talking about with coaches or are you talking about in general? Uh, well, kind of both, kind of like when you do the coaching search and in general. Well, I mean, Syracuse has such a great history, and that's what – I'm a big stickler on history and tradition and that that you need to pay attention to history. And, uh, and then you couple that with the fact that a lot of our alum are in that New York City area, their tri-state area, and, and uh, so we did a lot of, lot of branding – as you know, Dan, down in that area, um, and got a lot of momentum. Um, but when you talk about the history of Syracuse, it, it's, you know, folks are very familiar, and we would bring it up a lot. You know, it, it's not to just rest on the, the one national championship team, but but to just bring up the, the kind of people that have been there. I mean, it's very prestigious uh, football pedigree in terms of Hall of Famers and in the NFL college football hall of famers. And, and, and so that's how we, we started branding. That's when we started, you know, retiring some of the Jersey numbers and, um, and doing those sorts of things. And we brought a lot of attention to the program, um, at Syracuse. And so it, there was no problem 
with uh, recruiting coaches interested. It was more about timing and, and, and the coaches having time to go out and, and recruit. So, so that wasn't the issue. And I, I think we branded Syracuse uh, about as well as anybody branded their university at the time. Um, as I mentioned, we played those games in New York City, and, and we, we had the whole New York College team uh, brand, and uh, that, that was very, very helpful for us. matter of fact, that, that helped us uh, lead to getting picked for the uh, ACC over some other schools that were trying to get in as well. Um, and, and so that, that, that was one of our strengths uh, and attractions. And, and then you just follow the lead of, of Jim Beheim. I mean, a lot of the, the New York branding and wanting to be in that area was because of the success that you could see with basketball and, and the, the basketball team being in Madison Square Garden and going down to the Big East tournament and, and just how it could rally, rally a lot of the, uh, the Orange Nation. And, uh, and so we, we use a lot of that model. And then we were out in California and, and we were out the uh, – uh, and other places in the country, and, and I, I thought our flag was waving pretty well all over the country, and I thought we did a, a pretty good job of branding and marketing the school, and it, it worked out well in terms of our recruits and uh, a lot of the coaches that we brought there. Um, and we, we had a, I, I still think we had a, a really good uh, run in terms of overall athletic performance. So, you know, and, and- that's how we did it. And you, uh, speaking here with Dr. Daryl Gross, former Syracuse University AD and Executive Director for Interco- Intercollegiate Ath- Athletics, currently at Cal State LA on the West Coast. Uh, so many different things to, you know, to look at. And like you said, I mean, you were coming into Syracuse. It was the Paul Pascalone decision, like you said, that, that you obviously were there for, the Greg Robinson decision, the Doug Marone decision, then trying to find someone and, and, and having Scott Schaefer elevate from defensive coordinator. Then amidst all of this, it's joining the ACC. It's the New York College team branding. It's the New York College Classic with USC and Notre Dame and Penn State. In New York City, giving up a home game in Syracuse to go down to New York City and try to branch out and brand there, make money there, recruit there. What can you tell me about, I mean, Daryl, you were a part of so many things that will continue to affect Syracuse, uh, but you know, maybe forever. And one of the decisions that is really near and dear to my heart, we're going to talk about in a second. I want to save the best for last. But for you to, you know, you brought up the ACC, and we've talked about coaches and whatnot. Uh, a few things we haven't gotten to. What can you say about the the, the Scott Schaefer decision and, and Scott as a person? And then at the same time, the New York College Classic and doing something like that with bringing a home game to New York City. And, and then, you know, the ACC decision, which you and I spoke about, uh, immediately. I remember I was at a Buffalo Bills game. I had just finished the game and had gone to the locker room and you and I were playing phone tag. You called me back and I don't even know if you know this, but I sat in the parking lot by their training facility, sat on the ground and in as quiet of an area as I could and recorded our conversation there instantaneously with my uh, my kind of carry recorder that I had right off the phone because I knew that time was precious, I knew it was a very timely conversation, and I knew that you were busy. So there's so many things that were happening, uh, you know, and, and, and I want to thank you for giving me, uh, always giving me the time and, and giving me the opportunity, really in the moment, instantaneously, to talk about something. So to Scott Schaefer, to the New York College Classic, to the ACC, 
uh, go a little bit deeper into those three topics, knowing that once again, you know, Daryl, you you were a part of so many big decisions happening at Syracuse. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it was the gold suit that attracted you know the spotlight or what was going on. But you know, your time at Syracuse seemed to involve a lot of giant decision making pieces, and and one of them, probably the biggest one, the ACC something that will affect this team forever, on this school forever, all the teams. Yeah, well, I tell you what, it's, um, yeah, there's a lot going on, but if, if you're trying to, to move the program, you know, we're trying to move it to be as extraordinary as possible, and that was one of our our mantras. Um, and, and so when Doug left, obviously that left a void. Um, and, you know, Scott Schaefer was there, and, he was the defensive coordinator and the community really, really liked Scott. You know, um, if you think about the pinstripe bowl, you know, late in December. Um, and we, we, so, so again, it's like I mentioned earlier, you're, you're starting, uh, your search very late in the game. And, and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people that were doing searches, had already, you know, almost completed them, right? So you, you lose a lot of candidates, but Scott had done a great job, and he was well-received by the fans and the community, and people really liked, liked what they saw from him. And and um, I know our trustees and our chancellor and folks liked what they saw from Scott. And so, you know, you give a, give a fellow an opportunity because you're trying to keep uh, the momentum that you just had from the pinstripe ball, you know? If you remember, the defense played very well that day. As Geno Smith was a quarterback, not too many times you see two safeties in one game, and and our defense did that. It just this really powered, overpowered a very good West Virginia team um, that had a couple draft picks, early round draft picks off that team that uh, that we were able to contain. And you know what kind of speed those guys had; and they were they were good. And so the momentum was there. It was kind of set up that hey, you're late in the game. Um, you want to keep some continuity starting all over in January, February. We know what that looks like, you know. So so it was more of a handing off of the baton to keep the continuity with Scott. And uh, um, and, and so that, that's kind of how that, that all came to fruition. Um, there was some, some, you know, slight interest in the job. There wasn't overwhelming because people knew it was late in the game and, and that maybe it would have to be someone from – inside or, or someone from um uh uh you know uh, off your staff to, to take over the program because because we were late in the game and uh and, and it's that's just how timing works sometimes and you know that's life you know timing your t- the timing doesn't just always go the way you want it to go and so when you're in the midst of of having great momentum you know we thought we could keep that momentum going with scott and uh and that's how we made that decision there. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of choices. But, you know, I remember uh, the guy that just got the job at Arizona Jetfish, he was interested later on. And, and uh, you know, we were looking at a few other people. But, you know, for the best interest of where we were at the time, we just made the transition to Scott Schaefer. And, again, he was well-received by the uh, by the community, by the university, and after that, you got to go out and perform because, uh, you know, they're, they're, 
if you don't, you know, folks want to see success and, and we get that. That's the business that we're in, try to produce success. So, so there, there's a transition there from Doug to, to Shafe and, and uh, obviously that first year we competed and battled and got into the Texas Bowl and uh, the Texas Bowl went down there and played a, a good Minnesota team and, and beat them. And so it looked like it was going to pre- be pretty good going forward. And then the next year, Terrell Hunt, uh, and you remember, he, he gets hurt. Yeah. And uh, and then then we go with the uh, a brand new freshman kid by the name of Dungy, <laughs> and uh, he went on to have a pretty pretty stellar, you know, career at Syracuse. So it's 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 just amazing the breaks you get and the challenges that come up and the successes you have. And, you know, again, you know, people are competing hard to try to make it really extraordinary. You know, and, and in all these decisions, and I, and I thank you for, you know, obliging me and, and, you know, talking about so many different pieces, because, you know, I think it's really important to speak on, you know, the, the history of your time at Syracuse and, and, and how so many things went on and how you'll always be connected to the university because of it and connected to it to you know just the the history of where they were and where they're going and decisions that will continue to hopefully uh, bear some good fruit here but daryl the best decision that i think you made and maybe you would say the same thing is when there was the decision made for floyd little to return to syracuse as someone who uh, you know and i know to say, you know, Floyd has been an incredible person on this planet is an understatement. To say that his spirit will live on forever is an understatement. To, you know, say something that he always said, one of the poems he loved, uh, there are miles to go before I sleep and promises to keep. You know, you, you brought back one of the greatest things to ever happen to Syracuse. And, and because of the decision of Floyd coming back and, and, and you bringing him back and him wanting to come back and all of the stars aligning, Syracuse got Floyd twice, where anybody in the world would be happy to have him once. Bring me into your friendship with Floyd Little and the background on why create a position for a former Syracuse football player and, and what the intent was in, in, in the... Uh, importance was to have somebody like Floyd inside of Syracuse at that time. Well, Floyd is, as you just mentioned, you, you summed him up really well. I mean, this guy is an ambassador of the world, man. And, and everywhere Floyd goes, as you know, Dan, he just made everyone feel like he's his, their best friend, right? And and that's, that's what you see when you see the tributes to Floyd. Everybody has a picture to show with Floyd because Floyd would do that for everybody. And Floyd would make everyone feel so good. But when I first got to Syracuse, you know, one of the things that we, we did at SC and I wanted to do at Syracuse as well is really reach back to the, the players that had been part of, of making the school what it was. And uh, so right away I just reached out and we did it for football players, basketball players, and, and developed some great relationships with Floyd and Jim Brown and and Donnie McPherson and Donovan. And of course, Donovan was a trustee at the time. And, and even in basketball with the Billy Owens and the Derek Coleman's and, 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 uh, Dave Bings and on and on and on. And I would just bring these people back as much as possible just to be part of the atmosphere. And to, as I said earlier, I just, 
I'm a big stickler about history, and I wanted our student athletes and our staff and our coaches in the university to just to just feel that history. If people were alive, you know, we'd have Pearl come back. You know, I, I brought Pearl back for for graduate school, and and we had um, uh, Sherm Douglas, and and on and on and on and on. And on. But every time I, I wanted to get some advice, I'd always call Floyd, and so. You know, Floyd and I became friends just after the first phone call because you know how Floyd makes you feel. And I'd say, Floyd, can you come back for this game? Floyd, can you come back for this game? Floyd, can you come back for this game? And so he was coming back so often. He loved it. Him and DeVore would come. And he'd sit right next to me in the press box, and we'd talk football, and we'd talk coaches, and we'd talk recruiting, and we would talk all these things. And I'd have him talk to the team and, and then the whole, the, you know, everything you can imagine. And he was so willing to do all that stuff. And so over that time, we developed a very strong friendship. And we were talking often about everything. And I could share things that I couldn't share with everyone publicly which, with Floyd. And he, he always knew the situation, that what was going on. Um, so it, it just got to the point where, you know, I, I don't I think you were there at the when we did the, the Jersey uh, 44 Jersey ceremony and we had Floyd there, and I, we had people run out of the tunnel, and 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 uh, Ernie Davis's mom was there, and Jim Brown was there, and it was just a fabulous day. And then we had the other 44s there, and we made it an entire weekend with with all those things. And and so I was, I always used to say to Floyd that uh, Floyd would be awesome that one day you come come work here, you know, in the athletic department, you know, and just bring your touch and your mind and your thinking uh, to this department. And we, we would kind of joke about it. And then finally, you know, Nancy Cantor was the chancellor. And uh, she said, Daryl, after a few years, you know, because I inherited the staff that was there. And she said, after a few years, you can bring in folks of your own. You you know, you deserve to and to keep building the program. And so right away, I wanted to bring in Floyd Little. And I called Floyd and Deborah. And they were so excited, and we, we got, a, got a deal done and got him out here. And, you know, to the day he died, Floyd would always say, Daryl, that's the best job I ever had in my life. And, and the thing that was so fun is even through challenges, successes, um, et cetera, we always found the time to, to fellowship, but we always found the time to laugh. And, and uh, we, 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 we never took ourselves that serious when things were going bad we never took ourselves that serious when we won championships whether it was lacrosse or cross country or going to final fours or any of that kind of stuff but uh, he, he was just it's so wonderful in that way and I brought him in to, to do some things that he was so successful at we were trying to fundraise um, we, I, I, I loved the way he would uh, could, could re- recruit how he could go speak to a crowd, um, how, how the Syracuse Orange Nation just loved him. So he was an ambassador for us. He fundraised for us. He worked with our student athletes. And we would have him sit down with, with, with students, and all of us would. Me, him, and Herm uh, Fraser would have our student athletes come by when they wanted to get away from the sports side of things and just come and talk. And um, he was so so valuable in that regard, and, and just so valuable in so many ways. And, and we just had a wonderful time trying to grow the program. And, and he was he was such a uh, like a big brother to me. And and um, you know, even after he left, after I went to California, uh, me and Floyd just talked frequently. And 
uh, all the time, and all the way up to his passing, to where Deborah would tell me that, hey, Daryl, um, Floyd can hear you. you. He can't really respond, but he hears everything you're saying. And so, um, you know, obviously I, I'm so at peace with that because we had such a wonderful relationship, and I, w- I was so proud and honored to have him come and, and be at Syracuse that, that second time because he really <clears throat> he, he really always called to say how wonderful that was of an experience. And, and Floyd, to me, was someone that got to do – there's not anything on his checklist or in his bucket list that he didn't check off. Yeah. And, and so, so I know that he, he died in peace. And, and I know that you know, God has a place for him in heaven because he's a special person. There was not a lot of special people like Floyd. That, that's, a, that's a rarity. And I never forget when I brought him in and, and uh, Jim Behan came down and he said, that's the best hire you've ever made is, is Floyd Little. And that's how close those guys were because they went to school together. And, and just to see the banter between <laughs> between Jim and Floyd was always hilarious. It was just it was just priceless. And, and those are the moments that I wish we, we could have shared with, with everybody. You know, we're all moving so fast and trying to compete and all those things. But those moments that are part of the daily operation – uh, when we'd have meetings across the path in the hallways was, was always so wonderful and special. So um, he's dear to my heart, and uh, I love him dearly. I know he's looking down on all of us, and I talked to his son the other day, and I know Mark's going to carry the torch for Floyd, and uh, uh, I still say Floyd gave the, the greatest NFL Hall of Fame speech speech ever. And and those, those that can go to YouTube, you should check it out because it's just just a wonderful, inspiring speech, and that's how Floyd always was. Never saw him ever have a down day, ever. And uh, there's times where we were we were both uh, angry and and upset that things weren't going right, but but we were we were always uh, joined at the hip, and uh, I'll never forget that the rest of my life. And all the lessons from Floyd and the conversations were just just so wonderful. Daryl, you sent me a message after Floyd passed away, and. I was uh, pleasantly, you know, surprised to, to see it because it just kind of came out of nowhere. You just sent it off to me. You said, uh, Floyd was a great man and a wonderful friend. Uh, Floyd made everyone feel like he was their best friend, which you just mentioned. Uh, he was the best hire I ever made. He brought amazing spirit and grace to the program. When I retired the number 44, it was with his legacy in mind, along with Jim Brown and Ernie Davis. His contributions to Syracuse and the world went beyond extraordinary, and he was an ambassador of hope and peace for the world. I will miss our frequent conversations, his smile and laughter, and his love. He was a true swordsman who will be a Hall of Famer in heaven. I want to go back to the retirement of the number 44 and the why of doing that and the process of doing that since some people don't know if it's retired unretired retired so i wanted to ask you about that and i also wanted to ask you why you utilize the word swordsman i thought it was a very unique word to say he was a true swordsman who will be a hall of famer in heaven so i wanted to get to those two things before i let you go today no yeah for sure well swordsman to me and in, in, in my vernacular is, is more of a reference to a true hero, a true competitor, a true uh, uh, leader of, of, of people, you know? So 
I was just trying to think of one word that could just sum it all up, and it, it's something that that I use and give out rarely, you know. And and, and uh, that's the that's the that's the word that came to my mind. Uh, but really, the word is hero. And uh, um, but it, it goes beyond him being a hero. He, he's someone that could have Floyd's someone that could have been the president of the United States. He's got that kind of uh, 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 substance to him. And, and uh, that was that's that's why why I mentioned that. And I, I wanted to just send you the first thoughts that came to my mind about Floyd. You know, how how do I sum up um, someone who was that special and and, and that great in, in life? And and that's 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 how that came about. Um, and so it just leaves me with a great memory. So it's just one of those those rarities. Um, in terms of 44, you know, I think, Dan, we started this show today talking about uh, history and, and how how history is very important to me. And um, and so when we had this discussion about 44, you know, you look at basketball, there's a lot of numbers retired, right? And, and whether numbers can come off for some extraordinary reason or not, you know, that's for the school, university, to always have that, that, that purview to make those decisions. Um, I know at USC, you, you, you can only get your jersey retired if you're a Heisman Trophy winner. And so there's six of them there. But uh, one time, Mike Garrett, we had a great, uh, he, he was the first Heisman Trophy winner at USC in 65. He wore number 20. And we had a great all-American five-star safety coming into the university from Long Beach Poly High School out in California. And he wanted to wear number 20. And so they went to Mike and asked him. And Mike said, yeah, we'll take it off off the shelf and let him wear 20 for that year. And then after he, Darnell being wore it, then they, they gave it back, they put it back, and now it's retired forever again, right? So, you know, whatever the university wants to do on that is, is, is to them. But really, it was the sim- symbolism of 44. You know, to have a Jim Brown, to have uh, a Ernie Davis, and to have a Floyd Little. Jim Brown, the greatest player ever. Ernie Davis, the first African-American to ever win the Heisman Trophy. Um, and then to have Floyd Little, three-time All-American, who was even more productive than the two before, you know? And and that, that trilogy is, is so unmatched. I don't think you can find it anywhere in college football that symbolically that number needed to be recognized as a retired number. And that, that the, the level of achievement from those those folks, of course, we've had 44s after that that did some some really decent uh, things, but those three in particular um, needed to be recognized that way. And so the university, the trustees, all agreed with the plan, and and, and we we did it. And it was just just a beautiful thing, and it, it got a lot of attention. Um, and and uh, you know, Floyd, I never forget, he was crying that day on the field, and. Uh, Jim Brown was very touched by it. Ernie Davis's mom, she was out there, and I could see her face right now in my mind. And uh, uh, it was just a special, special opportunity. And, and Dan, you know, if if how do you retire a Donovan McNabb's number before you retire, or before you <laughs> retire Jim Brown's number, right? Yeah. So you can't even get to the other guys. So we were trying to figure out a way to, you know, we got to recognize our people, Donnie McPherson and. And, uh, you know, 
having Larry Zonka come back to, to, to put his number up. You know, everyone said, you can't reach Larry Zonka. He's in the middle of the ocean somewhere. He never returns calls. But guess what? We got him. And Larry, Larry was just terrific, and we just had a blast. The guy has the biggest hands I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. But we, we, we just had so much fun with those things. And to be able to recognize that those players, it was just so important to, to, to really relish Syracuse's history and, and to let people all over the world and the nation know um, that history and not to let it fade away or let it get dusty or any of those type of things. And so, you know, one thing we didn't talk about was the movie The Express. And, yeah. and, and going out there, and to me, one of the biggest days we ever had in Syracuse. You know, the whole city kind of shut down that day for that beautiful moment and that that, that um, premiere that we had. And, and that whole weekend was just so full of life. And it, it was just beautiful to, to now that I run into people, they go, hey, yeah, I really, you were at Syracuse, man. I watched the movie The Express, you know. And just how that whole movie came to fruition and flying out to California and it, it getting to reconnect with some of my old buddies from high school that are producers now, Gary Foster, who did Sleepless in Seattle and Tin Cup, and he goes, no, I don't have the script, but John Davis has it at United uh, United Artists. You need to go talk to him, and we're lying around trying to convince people to do the movie, and, they, and we did it. And, and it, and it was so special, and, and I hope it never gets forgotten, and, and they can kind of relive, relive that day where the premiere and the, the city of Syracuse came together to just do something really special. And Floyd was right in the middle of that as well. And the whole, the whole 44 theme. So, you know, it, it, it was, those were the things that I considered that were just really fantastic. And, and that, that very unique and that a lot of universities don't get a chance to, to do those things because they don't, they don't have that same kind of a folklore. Um, um, but it was beautiful, man. And, and, uh, and Floyd was a, a beautiful person and human being. And that's touched all of us, and I think we all have a little, a little piece of Floyd in us, and we lost a little piece of Floyd in our heart. So there you have it. Yeah, coming from Dr. Daryl Gross, uh, Daryl, I'm going to present an opportunity for you that I don't think you've ever had, and I would venture to say, I, I feel very confident you've never had this opportunity, and uh, because you have been an athletics director, and because you're an executive director right now for intercollegiate athletics for Cal State, LA. Uh, you know, you typically don't get to ask the questions. You're constantly asked the questions. So I do a thing on my show called Rapid Fire, which flips the script and allows whoever I'm interviewing to interview me, essentially. doesn't have to be about sports. It can be literally about anything in the world. But you have been so open, honest, and candid with me from the moment I met you when it came to asking you questions about really big topics and some things that were difficult to talk about. So in the spirit of fairness... I now flip the script on myself and hand you the microphone. Dr. Daryl Gross, you are in charge right now of these three questions. You can ask me anything in the world. And I, like I said, I feel like you probably have never gotten the opportunity to be the interviewer. So I want to give you that opportunity on the show today. <laughs> well, hey, I appreciate it, uh, Dan. And uh, I don't mind answering the questions uh I, I'd love to hear your take on, on what you saw in our our nation's capital the other day, uh, which I thought was a very uh, disturbing day and uh, um, disheartening day, I should say. And, uh, you know, obviously it looks like we're going to come out of it, but there's a lot of carnage that had to happen. I want to hear your take on that. 
And I appreciate that. A first question from Dr. Daryl Gross uh, to me inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora and our special. Uh, you know, I started the show by calling it, uh, referring to these things as the annoying moment of the week. And, you know, I, I would tell you, Daryl, that I saw a lot in this past year that it's not that I... Uh, didn't know that things existed. I did. Unfortunately, I know that racism's never truly ever gone away. I know uh, prejudice and sexism and just overall hate, you know, has, has always been in our society for some ridiculous reason. But I will tell you that I never anticipated or expected there to be an America where we would go from me being a little kid and everybody was so proud to be an American and and, and proud to, to, you know, have the flag and the colors, you know, bleed red, white, and blue and all the music and we're a beacon of hope for everybody and the whole world looks to us and we're the richest nation and we're the most industrialized and everybody can count on us and, and we're not only going to protect our freedom, but we'll, we'll protect everybody to, to go to a point where I'm 35 years old and we can't protect, we don't protect ourselves, we don't protect our citizens, we don't listen, we fight, we argue, we have special rules rules for some people, no rules for others, and I mean, I, I can honestly tell you that I never in my world thought that citizens would just break into the Capitol building and be sitting in people's offices and carrying weapons. I, I, I don't even know the words to say how disappointed and completely shocked I am that one of the, what's supposed to be one of the most secure buildings in the world, not in the country, uh, one of the most secure buildings in the world, basically told all of our enemies, like, hey, walk right in the front door. You don't even have to knock. Um, yeah. That shocks me. I shouldn't say it shocks me because I don't know if anything shocks me anymore, but it, it really saddens me. And what really hurts me and frustrates me is that I've had people look me in the eye and ask me if I really thought the Holocaust happened. You know, I've had people say the N-word in front of me and had somebody else say, well, you know, he was born at a different time, and so it's okay. I, I, I've never made an excuse for hate. I've never understood it. There's never a good time for the N-word. There's never a good time for violence. So I can honestly tell you that we are supposed to be together. We are supposed to work together. We are more polarized than I've ever seen in my life. And I think that it's as simple as listening to hear and not listening to speak and hearing what people have to say, compromising and finding that opinions can be different, but you can find common ground and realizing that everybody at your dinner table should be given a plate and should be allowed to eat. So, if that answers a question in any way, and on top it of that, does. just really, uh, really praying to God every day, but even more so now, just telling him I'm sorry for what he has to see, and I promise him that there's better than that. Well, I think that's excellent. And, and uh, you know, Dan, I would add to what you're saying by some Syracuse experiences is in terms of meeting Joe Biden. And and you talk about some irony to 
to Floyd Little and his life. Uh, you know, when we won the lacrosse national championship, Mary Kelly, the great Mary Kelly, I call her, who was my administrative assistant for years at Syracuse, just wonderful. She's there now, still, just a just a beautiful person. But Mary came in my office and said, the vice president of the United States is on the phone. And I, I looked at her like, stop playing around. <laughs> and sure enough, Joe Biden had called to invite us and the team to 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 Washington D.C. because we had just won a national title in lacrosse. And Joe went to the law school and he just loved Syracuse and he wanted us to come out there. And sure enough, we went out there and 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 it wasn't your regular go to the White House, shake hands with the president. He took us to the White House building. And we did a little speech for Joe and gave him some lacrosse gifts and Desco and I and took the team up there and and then he took us to the White House and we met Barack Obama and then and then Joe takes us to his house to the Naval Observatory house and for a pool party and a barbecue and you know he's got a beard here's a beard I mean he he was just he was just so real. And, and he said, Daryl, you know, in my lifetime, I never thought there'd be an African-American president. And But then I thought about when John F. Kennedy came on the train after he passed away, and they had his coffin in the train, and how many African-Americans were lined up um, to, to pay their respect to him. What I took away from everything that I was around Joe Biden for, and then again later we did another function with, with Floyd and and, and Joe down in New York City at a museum and uh, Breaking Barriers, it was called, Dave Bean came out and all that. And I introduced uh, Vice President Biden and, and he spoke. And then we had this beautiful panel down there. But just being around him, you just knew that Joe Biden was a real guy. And so when people said, oh, well, Joe Biden's running for president, he's old, he's this, the policies, it's left, is it right, is it da 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 And my response was always, he brings character. That's all I know. You know, I don't know what his policies are, but he, he's a very formidable leader who's going to be patient and, and try to work for everybody. That's all I can tell you. The reason I bring up Joe Biden is because Joe Biden loved Floyd Little to the point where Joe Biden reached out to Floyd and wanted to give Floyd the best doctors possible to try to fight the cancer that Floyd had. And it just shows what the world can be, and it just gives me a glimmer of hope that, that, that you know, we, we could have good days ahead if everyone can just kind of work together and come along and do all those things. And, 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 and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully that will happen. And right now we need some calm in this, in this country, and, and, and maybe this gives us the opportunity to, to do that. So uh, just thought I'd hit you with another Syracuse uh, connection with with Floyd and and, and Joe Biden and, and and how 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 those two were joined at the hip, and now all of a sudden one of our Syracuse people are the president of the United States, you know. And I just think that's uh, that's it's such irony. Um, it is it's another special thing in, in the history of Syracuse. Yeah, it is, and it's it's incredible and it's amazing, and I appreciate you sharing that story and. Asking me that question, what's your second one for me? The second one is, I'll go back to our athletic days. Do you know the reason? Here's your, here's your, this is a trivia slash question. <laughs> Do 
do you know the reason that we played those games at MetLife Stadium? Why you play the New York College Classic? You know, when we played the, the USC's and we played Penn State and we played Notre Dame, do you know why we did that? Uh, I would say that you did that uh, from what I remember, uh, you know, kind of just gathering information-wise. It's, and you could tell me if I'm wrong, but I believe it brought, each game brought $5 million to the program. So it brought money to the program. It brought the alumni connection there. It was supposed to help in recruiting. It was supposed to it was supposed to aid in money. It was supposed to aid in recruiting. It was supposed to aid in exposure from what I understood. Is is that is there any truth to that, I guess? I would say if I were grading that paper Wait, hold on one second. What were you saying? If you what? If I were grading that 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 quiz I just gave you, I'd give you an A plus Dan. <laughs> and and that <laughs> That was the exact reason, it, it's the, it, a lot of people didn't understand, and I, I wanted to, to share this with you, is that, you know, when we, when I first got to Syracuse, in the old days, we, we had 11 football home games, and what happened at USC is, if you were, if you were uh, 5 and 5, or if you were 6 and 5 in a bowl game, if you played one extra game, you couldn't go to a bowl game, so they changed all the rules, so anyway... They just decided to add a 12th game to the schedule. So it was a game that we never had on our schedule or I was part of the legislation to, to get that approved to have the extra game um, in the NCAA. And so we never had that game before. So we thought, how can we, we're very, really struggling financially. And we thought, what can we do to help the budget to stay afloat, um, to add more dollars to football, to do all those things? And, and this was an opportunity that every once in a while we could go to MetLife Stadium and use that, utilize that 12th game in a way to, like you said, increase revenue, right? And it's the biggest deal ever done for a non-bowl game, $5 million for one game. And so, of course, the, the university financial folks thought this was great because we were going to be able to try to balance our budget and, and stay afloat. This is when we're still in the Big East. And, and so we did those games for that for that particular reason was one. But the other one was, as you mentioned, we were trying to get uh, into New Jersey and get those kids that Penn State and Michigan and Rutgers, you know, other schools in Notre Dame would go in and get. And it was helpful for us. And the coaches really, really appreciated it. And third was to get on that stage and to bring the alum around. Uh, but we knew we played in New York that we'd get a nationally televised game. Now, if you ask me, would I have wanted to play all those games? If we were healthy financially, play those all in the Dome? Heck yeah. I, I felt like we would have ambushed SC in the Dome uh, that day. You know, we, we played a great game against them when Lane Kiffin was coaching there. And, and uh, if, if you remember that game, we had a, um, a fourth and one, and we didn't go for it. And, and uh, it cost us because we kicked it to, to the great Robert Wood, and he took it all the way back. Not to for a touchdown, but he took it all the way back almost for a touchdown. But but we had a chance to beat him there, and so you know we probably would have got him in the Dome. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize we, we weren't just taking games out of the Dome just to take them out of the Dome. There was a, there was a whole purpose to it, and it really tried to jumpstart the program. Um, and, and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, I'm glad people like you understand that because there, there, was a, there was a reason for it, and it wasn't just to not have um, – 
games at the dome. You know that that's obviously would would be very smart because there's a, a total advantage there. So yes, you got it right, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What's your final question for me, Daryl? Well, the last one is is uh, what is everyone doing to support football? Um, in your opinion, because uh, uh, I know Dino's is is doing the best he can. He's in a he's in a conference that's, that's very difficult. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, recruiting wise, you don't have people in your backyard, so he's got to go out and do it. Dino's got a great mind, and he he's a tremendous leader of men. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are. What 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 are the community's thoughts about about football at, at Syracuse, and, and and how does it? Uh, how do you support Dino and everything he's doing? Because uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful person, and, and uh, hopefully he can have great success. But I, I'd love to hear your take. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, I think first and foremost, I'm a big proponent of the fact that there is talent here in Central and uh, in upstate New York, and I get to know it, and I get to be around it. So I think, you know, uh, the Mike Washington Juniors of CNS that uh, – Syracuse talked to but never offered a scholarship to the Stevie Scotts who uh, Dino told you know kind of a story about it but Stevie kind of led me with a different story about it and how he ended up in Indiana so you know I mean things like that the John Phillips of, of CBA going to BC the Tyler Days of CNS going to BC the Tyler Rouses of Baldwinsville going to BC you know uh, there's coaches that, that recruit this area nobody does it better than Steve Adazio who was at Boston College and is now at Colorado State in his first season there with his son, Louis Adazio, who was at Syracuse as a tight end for a little bit. So I would say, first and foremost, there is talent in the backyard. Uh, I would suggest that Dino gets to know it because the Big Ten knows it. The, uh, you know, UConn knows it. Colorado State with Steve there now knows it. Uh, Boston College knows it. Uh, Even Nick Saban, who's come up here before from Alabama, knows it. So, I would I would suggest that he pays attention to that and keeps the uh, keeps those those awesome kids home. I would say, you know, the other the other side of it. Or I shouldn't say the other side of it, but to add to it, uh, what are fans doing? What's the community doing to support football? Uh, I you know I think fans are frustrated. I think they're they're angry. I think they're upset. I can understand the the frustration. I think he has to win this year. I mean, this is year six. Uh, he was four and eight, four and eight, ten and three, but he did that with Dungey, and who came from the other staff, and and guys that came from the other staff like Mo Neal and whatnot. So and Scoop Bradshaw, but I I think I think you know for me, four and eight, four and eight, ten and three, five and seven, one, one and ten, and 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 one and ten is something that that you know fans hope that they would never see again. So I think he's got to win. I love his mon- I love his statement faith belief without evidence. I use that in my life all the time uh, to have faith belief without evidence. Uh, I appreciate that. I remember him wearing like the Letterman sweater and, and talking during a Syracuse basketball game at halftime. So I, I can appreciate all of those things and and uh, and respect that. So I do want Dino to win. I do think him and I have a good relationship. I want to see success. I would like to see him recruit locally. I would like to see him let the alumni back in the building. I've spoken with alumni from all different decades that don't feel welcome at Syracuse anymore. And I know you talked about how you wanted to do the exact opposite and make them feel welcome. So I think he's got to open up to the past. I think he's got to build toward the future. 
by looking at the community and, and having that five-hour radius from the inside out. And, you know, outside of that, I, I think that, you know, he, he can't be prideful and fall into what some coaches fall into, which is, you know, if a system isn't working, well, it's my system and I'm going to run it into the ground. I, I think he's got to kind of see what works. I, I think, you know, he talks about running the ball. He, he's bringing in Josh Huff. I think he needs to run the ball. He's got an awesome guy that's already there, a couple awesome guys that are already there. And so I'd love to see him run the ball. I'd love to see it become RBU because that's what it always was. I want to see the defense continue to improve, and I want him to be open-minded to the fact that he might need to change some things in order to be successful. I appreciate his words. I appreciate uh, some things that he's done, and now I think it's just about evolving as a human being and understanding that, yeah, there's fair-weather fans in Syracuse like there is everywhere else, and the people that loved him at 10-3 and might be bashing him at 1-10, and but I just want him to stay the course, open up to the alumni, uh, open up to the community and recruiting in the community, and just be open-minded overall knowing that he has a great outlook on life and he has a very strong faith. And now I just want to see him you know, uh, grow as a human being and evolve as a human being because if we're not growing, we're, we're dying, so to speak. And um, so I just I want to see the evolution of Dino Babers and I hope he does it here and I hope he wins here and I hope he knows he always has my support as long as he is looking out for the community and loving the community and and giving his all. That's awesome. Well, as you know, Dan, I'm always rooting for the orange. You back here, I I find all the football games and basketball games and women's basketball games and lacrosse games. So it's, it's a blast and, uh, it's a special place, buddy. So appreciate you answering my questions. Yeah, Dr. Daryl Gross here, former Syracuse University AD, Executive Director for Intercollegiate Athletics for Cal State LA. I appreciate the time and the expanded time. And uh, the final note, Daryl, I just I want to ask you how things are at Cal State LA because I would feel wrong leaving the broadcast not asking you how life is right now with what you're currently doing. Well, I tell you what, it's a very it's another special place. It's in the heart of Los Angeles. You got the you got we're we're so close to where the Dodgers are and where the where where the Staples Center is with the Lakers and the Clippers and it's just always a buzz in the city and and we've got uh, thirty thousand students and and uh, a lot of first generation students and you know we got a lot of kids that they're 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 more not prone to go pro as they are to go play maybe overseas for instance in basketball but it is just it's fantastic we got a, a baseball program that that is it's good it's a soccer program that played for the national championship last year that's really really good and 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 uh, very robust in terms of our sports that we offer but it's just been so rewarding um we're working on a project right now matter of fact dan where we're kind of we're kind of we're kind of doing something with athletics that that i think is is quite unique where we're using our, our our sports complex to be a platform for um, for social, not only just social change, but to just take on social challenges. And and Billie Jean King, the great Billie Jean King, the uh, great tennis player, <clears throat> she's an alum from from Cal State Los Angeles. And so I've been doing a lot of things with Billie, and we're actually doing a statue right now for our, in our sports complex is going to become uh, the Billie Jean King uh, Legacy Center. 
and it's going to be our whole sports complex will be kind of like a uh, a presidential library, right? So so we're 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 taking intercollegiate sports and mixing it with how do we get our kids to uh, jump into their career, but also how do we get them to make an impact on the community? And that'll be a platform for that. And uh, so it's it's a kind of a special time. We're, we're raising a lot of money and. We, we've changed the culture. We were 114 in, in, uh, in NAFTA in the fall, um, and then we moved all the way up to, to 14. I mean, I'm sorry, 100 and, I don't know, 140 something. And we moved all the way up to 14 in the country after the fall before the pandemic started. So we made some great, some great moves. We got a great group of uh, uh, coaching staff. We got a great administrative staff. We're just having a blast. And, and just kind of getting after it and, and watching these kids grow and getting them ready to be uh, uh, leaders in the world, man. So uh, thanks for asking. Um, it, it's fun. It, it, it's always fun uh, trying to help student-athletes grow, and, and we're just going to keep that going. That coming from Dr. Daryl Gross. Daryl, as always, I appreciate your time. Uh, like I said, it's it's such an honor, and, and I feel uh, so very thankful to be able to get you on today and talk about Floyd and talk about history and set the record straight on a lot of stuff and talk about what you're doing now. So, you know, I appreciate your friendship and our connection personally, no matter what. And, uh, you know, I, I, I more than look forward to our conversations on the air, but also the ones off the air as well. Well, absolutely, my friend. It's good to catch up with you, Dan, and, and keep up the great work with your show. You're fabulous. You've always been a grinder and you've always been uh, paid attention to detail. So appreciate you, buddy. And I, it, But more than that, I appreciate your friendship. I do too. So happy new year, and God bless to you and, and the family and everybody out uh, on the uh, West Coast and, and wherever your loved ones are, and I'll look forward to talking with you soon. All right, my friend. Same to you, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. Anytime. Take care. Take care, buddy.